Open up your Bible, turn to the one in your book rack, or power it on to Leviticus chapter 23 as we continue the last of the Jewish festivals in Leviticus 23, our series called Party Like a Rabbi. Who is excited to study another Jewish festival? Yeah, baby. See, all these really point to Christ and how he fulfilled these. I can't wait. I'm not making this up. This is my favorite one. Now, next weekend, we're going to bring this all together, and I really encourage you. I've done this series before, and the last weekend is the one everybody remembers. So don't miss it. It's Palm Sunday weekend. It's going to be a special time. But this, as far as the festivals, is my favorite festival. And if you've come into this place today, and you feel a little broken down, lost, angry, wondering where God is and everything, wondering about God's timing, questioning, like this weekend is for you. God had this particular festival at the end of the fall harvest season, the last of the Jewish festivals in Leviticus 23, to remind you of how he's got you. I know that's bad grammar, but that's a big idea today. Forget everything else. Don't forget, he's got you right where you're at. Now, as we dive into this, uh, you're going to learn a lot, and we're going to study the Bible. Basically, it's going to teach the Bible for about 30 minutes. It's going to be a whole lot of content. You're going to want to get like a pen out or something or your phone or an iPad and try and jot down notes because you're going to forget all this like 30 minutes from now anyway. But it's going to, I believe, when we all get said and done, you're going to be like, wow, I never knew that. As we talk about the festival of tabernacles, the Hebrew word Sukkoth. I'm uh, imagining you've never heard of the Festival of Tabernacles. The word tabernacle could also be the Festival of Tents or Booths. And as you're going to see here, it was a way that God reminded the Israelites that you're going to throw this party for seven days. And on the eighth day, you're going to have this little ritual that you do, this ceremony, to remind you of how I took care of you for 40 years while you were in the wilderness. Are you ready to study God's Word, church? Come on now. I'm going to move quickly. Leviticus 23, verse uh, 33 to 34 It says, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month. What day? 15th day. What month? Seventh month. It's not going to be as important for this weekend. Next weekend, all these dates are going to be really important. Let's throw the chart up there of the different festivals. You'll notice this is the last of the fall festivals. Remember, I told you this week, two weeks ago, it's going to be similar to the festival of weeks which was the last of the spring festivals, reminded of God's spiritual and physical provision. And this kind of takes that to the next level because this is the fall harvest. It revolves around the agricultural calendar. And now they're going to have to trust that God's going to provide rain in the winter months so that months from then they're going to have crops and food in the spring when they have the first fruits of their harvest. Do you remember that one? So this is the big one. The time where they're really going to have to lean on the Lord is coming. And it said that on that day, on that month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. Verse 35, the first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord. And on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. Uh, And then in parentheses, these are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord. The burnt offerings, the grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings required for each day. So he's going to remind you, like, you got all these different offerings because it's the fall festival. And now look all I have provided you with. 
Now worship me and trust that I'm going to get you through this next year. It goes on after the little parentheses there. Verse 39, so the beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day also is a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees. You're going to see some similarities today from what we're going to celebrate next weekend with Palm Sunday. And you are to, to take those and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Verse 41, celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Verse 42, really important. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed festivals of the Lord. So the last of all the festivals was essentially, it was longer than Woodstock. Big celebration, seven days. You're all there together and you're remembering and worshiping the Lord and you are literally going to load up the Winnebago with you, your, your children, your, the cousins, the aunts, the uncles, the, the grandma and grandpa, the great-grandma and grandpa, you're loading everybody up, all of the offerings, and you're driving up to Jerusalem, where you're then, who wishes they had this spring break, then you're going to live with your family for eight days in a tent. Does that sound amazing? Any campers out there? You're going to like this, I guess. Uh, we'll pray for you, but that's you know, essentially what they're doing camping out with your family eight days in Jerusalem with all these sacrifices. Why? To remind them, verse 43, for all your descendants, how I provided for you, God says, in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 years. Remember when you left and I told you about the promised land, you didn't believe me and and then you were afraid and didn't go up there. And so then you had to live out in the desert for 40 years. Remember how I took care of you? Some of you, and I've seen this the last two services, some of you have hit the wall in your life recently. Loss of a loved one, death of a child, a divorce, uh, struggling financially to pay bills, habits that you've developed that are destructive to your life, and you just go, where are you, God? He gave you this festival to remind you that he's right there with you and he desires to dwell with you in whatever you're facing. Will you pray with me? God, it's one thing to say, you got us. You got our back. And it's another thing to pack everybody up and live in Jerusalem for eight days in a tent with your family, reminding yourselves of how you've got us. You're the, the greatest object lesson we could ever think of. And so some of us right now we just need to pause in the busyness of this weekend, acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room with us right now, where two or more gathered, and we ask that you would speak to our souls. Take my words away, add yours, challenge and encourage us. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. Some of you need to hear about that good, protective, heavenly father you've got. But I was reminded, it's funny how God does this sometimes to you. I was reminded this week of how I totally would fail if I was supposed to be a good heavenly father because I can barely, like, parent three children. 
is, I don't know why, but we uh, decided that for the first time, I think since we moved here from California eight years ago, that spring break actually didn't line up with Easter. And uh, we were like, we've got to figure out a way to do something for spring break. So I, I literally got back last night. I've been arbitrating sibling uh, disagreements for the last 48 hours. So if you don't like what I say this morning, deal with it, because I've had a tough uh, travel back from uh, Florida. We did this thing where we like, swapped homes. It, it was a cheap way to go down there. We went down there, and I took uh, the kids uh, we, we went to the beach one day, and it's a beach that my parents used to take me to growing up. And there's this one area where there's these rocks, and there's all these like uh, wildlife, like crabs and other marine life there. I don't know if I wanted to be a marine biologist instead or what, but I always love. That's like one of my favorite things to do while we're down there. So I love to drag the kids over there because they're always like, I want to be on technology and play the iPhone. I'm like, no, get out in nature. So we go over to the rocks, and we look for crabs and stuff, and we found some. And after we were out there about two hours, we were like, let's pick one more rock to turn over look for a crab. And my son, Jake, he's 10. He's like, oh, let's do that one. So me and all my dad's strength, I picked up that rock. I flipped the thing over. And, dude, there was a giant crab that came scurrying out from under there. And it was beautiful. It was, like, white with, like, these pink tips on its claws. It was just, it was beautiful. And I'm, like, trying to corral it so the kids can look at it. Look, this is God's creation. How cool is this? And... You know, we're humans are supposed to be protectors of wildlife, of God's creation. So, you know, we can't let any harm come to this crab. And now that you've seen it, I don't even want to try and pick it up and throw it back into the ocean. I'm afraid I might hurt its leg or something. And then I had this idea. I I don't want anybody to come along and, like, step on the crab because it's near the shoreline. I want to protect the crab. So I'll just take the rock that was hiding under and I will put it back over the crab to protect its life. Some of you already see where this is going. Like, that's really quick, but... And I took it, and I got the kids with me, right? And I took the rock, and I'm like, we're going to protect this, guys. And I took it, wham! Right on top of it. Slipped right out, smacked it. And I was like, dev- my daughter goes, you killed it, Dad! You killed it! And then... I had another bright idea. I was like, no, no, it's a crab. It burrows in the sand. Let me show you. (laughs) When I picked the rock back up, what was underneath, a child's eyes should never see. And we will never talk of it again. And I was so ashamed and embarrassed. And my daughter's like, yeah, you're a murderer. (laughs) Dude, I was so devastated. As a dad, all you want to do is, like, protect your children from trauma like that. And I just put them through it. Wow, excuse me, but... And they've been bringing it up ever since. I was like, do you guys forgive me? Uh, We'll think about it, Dad, right? Like, And I realized some of us feel like our Heavenly Father has not provided or protected us or cares about us the way that He should. And some of us have had times in our lives where, wham, it feels like everything falls down on top of us. And we're going, where are you protecting God? He gave you the festival of tabernacles so you wouldn't have to question his care, his heart, his desire for you, whatever you're going through. And you've probably never even seen it before. You probably don't even know that they actually celebrated it in New Testament times and that Jesus actually went to the festival. Did you know that? 
And not just like Jesus went to the festival because he was Jewish, so he must have. No, it's actually in the New Testament. And I can't wait to show it to you. And so you would have this seven days of this party there in Jerusalem, living in tents, capped off on the eighth day with this big ceremony there in the temple courtyard that involved the water and wine. And the, the high priest and reading particular passages of scripture to remind them of how God's got them. In fact, that, that last ceremony on the last day would involve two pictures, and I'm going to show you at the end here exactly what that was, and it involved one pitcher of water. Now, what did they need in the wintertime to provide crops for the next year? They needed rain. They needed water, right? And if water came, that meant in the, the spring harvest, they would have fruit, and in particular, their favorite one, the grape that produced wine that God was going to take care of their physical needs. See, if you're taking notes, I'm going to move super quickly. i got four simple points. God's got you is a big idea, and the first point is this. God's got your needs. I know it's bad grammar, but deal with it because you'll remember it. God's got your needs, your physical needs. That's what the ceremony was about at the end of the, the festival. That's what the whole thing was about. He wants to protect you and provide for you. And to remind you of how the Bible talks about this, I'm going to read a whole bunch of passages very quickly to demonstrate how he provided for them in the wilderness while they were out there for 40 years living in tents. Exodus chapter 14, verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. You remember that? They're crossing the Red Sea. He protects them. He gives them military victory. He cares about the big stuff. He even cares about your necessities like food and water. Look at Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, just a chapter later. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. You can't go much longer than three days without water, can you? And so he's going to go, hey, Moses, take that staff, drop it there in the water. This bitter water is going to become drinkable and now I've provided water for you. He takes care of your basic necessities, not just water, but food. Look with me at Exodus chapter, uh, let me get this right, Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. It says this, then Mo, uh, the whole Israelite community uh, set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So after they've come out of Egypt, they would go into the desert, and in verse 13, it says, That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. See, when they traveled out in the desert, they didn't have any food. They had water now, but they had no food. And so they wake up one morning, and there's little Pop-Tarts laying all over the ground. Called it manna, which means, uh, literally in Hebrew, it was, what is it? I don't know. What, I've never seen this before. What is it? And it was little bread that you essentially ate and it gave you sustenance. And some of you are like, I am not a vegetarian. I need some meat options. And so you were like the Israelites that began to grumble. Like, I know you're providing this miracle food, but we want more. And so then in verse 13 of that passage I just read, he's like, okay, fine. Here's some quail. Gave you a meat option. And now you are eating even more luxuriously. Of course, it gets so much and God almost rubs it in their face that you have so much, you don't even know what to do with it. And it ends up spoiling. Like, this is what happens in the, in, the, in the wilderness with the Israelites as they're provided by the Lord. Another passage, he's got the big stuff. He's got your necessities. He's got military protection. He's got meat. He's got vegetarian options. Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. You ever feel like you don't have enough time? Like you don't have enough energy? Like you're just exhausted and grinding it out at work every single day? 
A great leadership passage, Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. Moses felt like this. The next day, Moses took a seat to serve as a judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. They keep lining up and like, well, I got these complaints and bickering, and I got to solve all the problems. I don't want to do this anymore. He goes to his father, Jethro. Side note, I wanted to name our youngest son Jethro. My wife wouldn't let me, so we settled on Jet because apparently that's cooler in today's society. But I love the name Jethro because he had great leadership principles. And the leadership principle was you got to start trusting other people, that God can use someone else as much as he could use you, and you need to delegate some stuff. Some of you feel like if you don't work seven days a week, you're never going to be able to see God provide for you. He said, you don't know who I am. I want to take care of you, protect you, and provide for you. I'm going to give you an eight-day festival, just so you remember every year. That's not it. Exodus chapter 25, if you skip ahead here. Exodus 25, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone who, whose heart prompts them to give. And here's what the offering was for. Verse 8, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will what? Dwell among them. I will dwell among them. That's going to be a theme by the end of this. I will dwell among them. Do you know what the tabernacle is? It's literally, a tabernacle means like tent. It was the big tent that they built when 40 years there in the wilderness, they didn't have a building, the temple yet, hadn't been built in Jerusalem. So they had this large tent, and in the inner chambers was the most holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, where God's presence resided. You would see passages in the Old Testament of how they take it before them, and cloud of smoke represented the presence of God. The Shekinah glory of God was with them. He was present and dwelling with them. He walked with Adam in the Garden of Eden. He was present with them in the wilderness for 40 years. He didn't just give your physical needs and necessities. He didn't just cover military protection. He didn't give you just meat and a vegetarian option. He didn't just help you delegate to make more time and provide for believe that he could take care of you. But he also, in this particular uh, moment, demonstrated that I am with you. I am present. I'm dwelling with you in your camp. That You're never alone. And then my personal favorite, Deuteronomy 29, verses 5 and 6, kind of brings it all together. It says, yet the Lord says during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. He's like, dude, you, you had those designer jeans for 40 years out in the wilderness, and they have not worn through. You don't even have holes in the knee. I know you wanted holes in the knee because that's cool, but like you don't have them. And because I protected your clothing. Even the sandals on your feet, those rainbows should have worn out a long time ago. And you still got them. And so just so you could be reminded, once a year for eight days, you're going to live in a tent, in a temporary dwelling and be reminded of that. The Jewish community still participates that today, in that today. In fact, uh, a friend of mine, Dave Rothenberg, who's at the service, didn't want me to mention this. Uh, he actually has one of these booths that are set up, and he, he wouldn't set it up for me because I want to boo him right now, but I'm not because he's my friend, but and I love him to death. But literally, don't you? You have one. You set it up your house before. This is something that the Israelite community and eventually the Jewish community would still celebrate today. I just wanted to slide that in, Dave. Thanks. <laughs> you would live in this tent with your family and be reminded he provided for your needs. Even the needs you don't know about. Then, number two, if you're taking notes, God's not just got your needs. God's got your eternity. Your eternity. See, on that last day of the festival, throughout your time, you would have been studying passages of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, like Psalm 113 to 118, the Hillel. They would be reminded of God's provision and how he was going to save them. And we know 
uh, for Christians today that in particular Psalm 118 is a messianic prophetic um, passage in the Psalms talking about the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one who is to come. And so it was not just about God uh, got your physical needs, but he's got your eternal needs as well. And they would read passages like Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord. The what? The spring of living water. The living water that if you come to, you will never thirst again. Sound familiar to anything in the New Testament? They would read Isaiah chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 that says, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. He wasn't just providing for their needs, but the living water provided for you spiritually and eternally. Salvation itself. And so they had the ceremony on the last and greatest day where they would be reminded of exactly how God had took care of them, not just for 40 years, but they would cry out that the Lord would save them yet again and eventually send the Messiah, the anointed one, God with us. God's got you. He's got your needs. He's got your eternity. And number three, God's right here, right now among us. If you've never thought about that, let me introduce you to him. Because he waited for a particular moment in time to present himself as the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Festival of Tabernacles, the last of all of the festivals. And I want to show that to you. Turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. I bet you have read John 7 many times before if you're a Christian here, and you never even noticed to mention the Festival of Tabernacles. That Jesus actually went there. And here's why this is important. If, if you are going through a hard time right now and your girlfriend broke up with you and you don't know what to do with your life and you, the, everything is kind of slammed down upon you, you need to understand the power and the authority of God Almighty through the person of Jesus Christ. See, God is here with us right now and he went in a particular moment in time to present himself to the Jewish community as the Messiah. It happens in John chapter 7. Read with me in verse 1. There's this strange story about Jesus and his half-brothers. Jesus was fully God, fully human, but he didn't have half-brothers we know in the New Testament. It says in verse 1 of John 7, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles... Did you catch that? John 7, when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. I told you I was arbitrating sibling disagreements for the last 48 hours. And here's some younger brothers going, yeah, yeah, sure, you're the Messiah. Uh, why don't you go to Jerusalem and tell them that? That'd be awesome. And look how Jesus responds. Scholars didn't know what to do with this passage for years. Sometimes they would even mistranslate the passage because they didn't, it seems like Jesus changes his mind here. and He can't do that, right? But look what he says. Verse 6. 
Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. For you, he says, any time will do. You go ahead. But I'm going to come at a particular moment in time. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. Verse 10, however, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Why? Now, at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Where is he? Have you ever thought about if if you were going to introduce Jesus as the Messiah for the very first time, how you would do it? I, I want to show you this quick video clip. It's uh, from an old comedy. It's like pixelated from YouTube of Steve Harvey. And um, I'm going to tell you, like, I don't follow Steve Harvey's theology or anything like that. But this uh, clip is clean and it's super cool. I love this clip. And he's talking about if he got to introduce Jesus, how he would do it. I want you to see how Steve Harvey would do it. And then I want to show you how Jesus did it. Let's watch this together. If I had the pleasure of bringing out Christ, this is just how I would do it. It ain't got to be the way you do it. You might not think it's just right, but this is how I would do it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce a man who needs no introduction. His credits are too long to list. He has done the impossible time after time. He has, out of a manger in Bethlehem, Jerusalem, by way of heaven. His mother is still headlining in the Catholic Church today. His daddy is the author of a book that has been on the bestseller list since the beginning of time. He holds the record for the world's greatest fish fry.
Did that get you jacked up? I love that. Now, now how did Jesus actually do it? How did he introduce himself for the first time there in Jerusalem? He did it during the Festival of Tabernacles. You see, on that last and greatest day of the festival, there was a particular ceremony that we know from later rabbinical writings. And I actually, I didn't think this was true. I I checked with a rabbi a number of years ago just to clarify this. It's in the Yoma 3b, and he talks about during that time period how they would have actually celebrated this last day of the festival. And they would have read Jeremiah 17, verse 13, and Isaiah chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, about the living water, the wellspring of salvation that was coming. They would have uh, recited uh, Psalm 113 to 118, the Hillel, crying out to God, come save us, come save us yet again, save us, send the, the rains for the crops, and save us physically, but also come and send the Messiah the anointed one, and save us uh, spiritually. And we know as Christians today, eternally. And so it was during that last day when they were reading those passages that they would have this ceremony that involved the water and the wine. Now this part actually takes audience participation. No one got excited about that. (laughs) I'm going to need your help. And if I was sitting out there right now, I'd be like, I'm not doing it. I, I, I need your help. Because this was a very active ceremony, they would come together there in the temple courtyard where there would be thousands and thousands of Israelites and all of your family and, excuse me, friends and extended relatives and people you didn't even know. And they would come together after eight days and you read those passages and the high priest would take one picture and he would go out to the far side to this area, the pool of Siloam, which is thought where they would go to heal people. And he would get the water that represented God's physical and spiritual provision for them. And all along, after reading the Hillel, Psalm 113 to 118, there is a word in there that you know from Palm Sunday. It's the word Hosanna. And what does Hosanna mean? Save us. Save us. And so the Israelites would come together in the temple courtyard and they would shout out during this ceremony. Everyone in the audience would say, Hosanna. And it might start kind of low for us today, and I'm going to need your participation now that everyone together, when they're in the temple courtyard, would go, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Keep it going. Keep it going. The high priest would come over to the pool of Siloam. He would dip the pitcher in the water, which represented the physical and spiritual provision. He would bring it back in a loud ceremony, Hosanna. Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. Save us, Lord. Save us. Provide the rains, but provide for us spiritually. And one day they would know to send the Messiah. Save us forever. And they'd pour the water and the wine onto the altar. And there would be a river of red that would pour out over the altar there. Save us, God. Save us again. Please. And every year... You did this. Now, at some point, after thousands, over 1,000, 1,500 years of doing this, do you start going, uh, God, are you ever going to save us? Time to send the Messiah. You promised us. We're under Roman occupation now. Save us. Represented, we know as Christians today, they didn't understand this for, uh, for sure, but 
representing the blood of Christ, that high priest that we studied the first couple of weeks that get up on the altar, the Lamb of God, is the eternal sacrifice so that anybody in this room could draw near to God once and for all and forever. No more need for sacrifices of animals or other things that these animals would get what we deserve. Jesus took on the pain and the suffering and the sin of the world broken humankind and redeemed it for all time so that anybody who's in here, no matter what your background, you come just as you are if you surrender everything over to the Lord and you could actually be redeemed and have God in your life both now and eternally. By the way, when Jesus is on the cross and he is given his life and they come and they, they poke him with the spear, what pours out? Water and blood. It's just kind of interesting, and maybe I'm making too much of it, but in that moment, they had this celebration with the water and the wine coming together right there on the altar, and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. God, save us, save us, and eventually send the Messiah that we have been waiting on. Jesus told his brothers, for you guys, any time will do. But he had a particular moment in time. You know when it was? The New Testament tells us. Look at John chapter 7, verse 37. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I've given this message a number of times. I get choked up on this every single time. John 7, 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival. That's when Jesus is going to present himself. That's how Steve Harvey would do it. Here's how Jesus did it. He waited for that ceremony, that last and greatest day of the festival they had been doing for over a thousand years, waiting for the Messiah to come. And it says that Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. Why a loud voice? They're all crying out, save us, God. Save us. We just read about the spring of living water, like the wellspring of salvation. We read talking about that you want to save us in the Hillel in Psalm 113 to 182. Where are you at, God? And he says in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, rivers of what? Living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit who eventually would be given. And he waited for that particular moment in time to step up and say, I'm the Messiah, the one to save you that you all been waiting on. Come to me and you'll never thirst again. Enjoy the wellspring of eternal salvation. So that if, no matter what you're going through in your life and how, how dark the times are, that God had this celebration they had for 1,500 years and he waited for one particular moment in time to present himself so you wouldn't have to question his great plan over 1,500 years in the making. So that when you're going through the lowest of your lows and you can't utter a word, you know that the God that created you and redeemed you has a much bigger plan that we can't even see. Now, look, I'm not making light of anything anybody's going on is going on in this room right now. I've been through some extremely low times. You guys know our story. But I can tell you that the Festival of Tabernacles was all about God's pursuit of humankind, demonstrating that he is there for you. He's got gotcha. you. He's got your physical needs. He's got your spiritual eternity. He's here with you right now. And then number four, the final point, God wants to dwell with you. God wants to dwell with you. You see, the Festival of Tabernacles, they lived in these tents. Does it remind you of anything in the New Testament? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, he writes to the church in Corinth, for we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, what's the earthly tent today? Our body. Our body is just a, a temporary dwelling. 
a, a temporary shelter, a tent, an earthly tent. It is here one day and it's gone the next. Anybody, I asked you if you loved camping or not. What is the best part of camping? Even if you love camping, the best part of camping, we all know, is coming home. Right? Because you're exhausted, you've been living on the ground, and you get into that cozy bed and those warm sheets and that nice pillow. There's nothing like, nothing like coming home. And he says, your body is just a temporary dwelling. And one day, we're going to return home. And the world is going to be put as it should be. And Jesus in that moment presented himself to say, I am the reason, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 1 of, of 2 Corinthians 5, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And that Jesus, when he came in John chapter 1, verse 14, it said the word Jesus became flesh and made his what? His dwelling among us. The word tabernacle, it literally means to dwell with. You tabernacle with or you dwell with. That he came to, to dwell with us. That's why Emmanuel, God with us, Christmas time, he's with us. He wants to dwell, be in our lives. He was with Adam in the Garden of Eden. He was with them in the tabernacle out in the wilderness. They, they built the temple. His presence is there. When the, he gives up his life on the cross, we studied a few weeks ago, the temple curtains tore in, in two. And the, the Holy Spirit is no longer in a building. It's now in your temporary dwelling. The, the New Testament teaches us that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, not because you're God or something, but because you have encountered him and he wants to dwell with you. Amen. And whatever it is that you're facing, at your lowest of your lows, when you can't cry out or utter a word, he came to dwell with you and to remind you that it's not just about now and your current needs, but that he also came, he's got you eternally. And that and when he returns one day, Revelation chapter 21 reminds us that I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, verse 3, look or behold in heaven, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That in this broken life, he wants to dwell with you and walk with you through the pain. And that one day, everything will be put right. And there will be no more tears or mourning or crying or shame or death or brokenness or broken relationships or divorce or animosity or people screaming and violence. It will all be gone and God will be at the center of it and he will dwell with us. And we will have right relationship with him and with other human beings. It will be the most incredible, glorious thing you have ever experienced or will ever experience. And he says, guys, don't forget the great plan. I took 1,500 years to present myself as the Messiah at that particular moment in time so you wouldn't have to question it that I want to dwell with you whatever you're facing and the question is will we allow him will we invite him in to dwell in our brokenness and our shame and our guilt and our hurts and our pain and the things people have done to us will you will we 
Let's just respond. Will you pray with me? God, I can imagine in this room or attending online, there are many of us who have been Christians for a number of years. And we have gotten so complacent, we don't really invite you in to fully dwell with us. And we need to surrender. We need to surrender some areas of our life. If that's you here today, I want you to just, not out loud, but just pray right now. Whatever it is you need to give over to him. To relinquish control. And for some of us in the room, you may have known about God for a long time or even attended churches, but you had never fully surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never said, dwell with me both now and eternally. I surrender everything. I want to give you that opportunity. Pray this with me silently as I pray out loud. God, I confess that I'm not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I do this beautiful thing and I receive your grace and forgiveness, and I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. And on this day, I surrender my entire life to your Lordship, Jesus. Dwell in my life and through me so that I may dwell with you eternally. We love you, Jesus, and we give you our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.